pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 139. Today I'm going to chat with Matt Spafford from Smith & Wesson, talk about five new anti-gun bills signed by the governor of Virginia, and discuss the Ruger PC9 charger. I am your host, Ava Flanell, and Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, although earlier I ate some cereal, some Captain Crunch, and it kind of messed up the roof of my mouth, and it's been so long that I forgot that it did that. So I have that going for me. (laughs) I haven't had Captain Crunch in a while. uh, It's just, you know, I've noticed that I've been eating so much junk food during this whole stay-at-home order, and I shouldn't because I'm not working out as much. But, like, my entire fridge and freezer is filled with pizza, ice cream, I mean... There isn't a single vegetable in there. So I need to get my act together before the stay-at-home thing is lifted up because it's not going to be a good site. But before we get started, let's talk about Manicore Arms. I noticed that they have released their Scorpion Evo carry handle. It has an M-Lock forend. This is really only if you have the bullpup conversion kit, which Manicore Arms made. It will still fit a standard Scorpion Evo, but it's going to be a little too high for most people. So if you have that conversion kit, I would highly recommend get that carry handle. You can find that at manicorearms.com. Use the code GUNFUNNY15, and that will get you 15% off that price of $208.95. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Before we start talking about Smith & Wesson, what is your position there and how did you land that role? Yeah, so my position with the company, um, so I work in marketing mm-hmm. on the media side of the business. So uh, my official title is media manager. And really, I handle uh, PR, media relations, and advertising. I'm really the front end uh, of our marketing efforts when we're talking to consumers. Nice. And did you start off in that role or have you been there for a while doing other things? So I've been there for just about five years. I started out in channel marketing. I worked with really our, our sales team and our marketing teams to make sure our brands were being communicated at retail and worked on promotions and different things like that. And then I did that for a couple of years and then took this role and it slowly morphed into what it is today. Nice. I'm assuming that you went to college for marketing. I did. Okay. Were you always interested in firearms or was it just kind of a position that you land upon because they were hiring or have you always, you know, kind of had a love for firearms? It's really always been a part of my life. You know, ever since I was a younger kid, my dad would take us out to the range shooting and my grandfather was big into hunting. So it was always a part of my life. And then, you know, I I went to college and really got into hunting and some shooting and worked out of the industry for a little while. I was living down in North Carolina. I saw this position posted and thought it was a great opportunity, one, you know, to move back to my hometown. I'm from just outside of Springfield, Mass, where our corporate headquarters is located. And the position fit my background. And, you know, I always thought growing up, man, it'd be really cool to work at a company that I, you know, would drive past as a kid and marvel at. And so it's kind of a, a dream job. And it's been a fun five years. I've done a bunch of different things at the company and looking forward to what the future has to come. Yeah, definitely. Is Smith & Wesson, is the factory one of the largest within that area? You know, I don't know. There's quite a few in the Northeast. A lot of people don't think of the Northeast as, uh, you know, big place where, you know, gun companies are. Uh You know, there's ourselves and, you know, there's Sig Sauer 
couple others. Um, and you, you know, really that, that stems from back when gun manufacturing in the United States first started, you know, a lot of that happened at the Springfield Armory, which is right in Springfield, Massachusetts. And they would make, uh, they would make firearms for the military. And then, you know, a lot of people who worked at Springfield Armory would go off and start their own companies, you know, Smith & Wesson, Colt, things like that. That's really kind of how the gun manufacturing has evolved in the United States. Wow. So I always thought it was kind of weird because of the fact that all of these companies are in these states that tend to be more anti-gun. And there's so many restrictions, yet this is where a lot of the guns are made that are technically restricted in that state. And then they're shipping to other states that allow the sale of them. So how did they get around that? Well, I mean, obviously being Smith & Wesson, you know, number one, we're a manufacturer. Number two, we're an FFL. We, we can manufacture firearms. And really, you know, we the way that our company's set up is we, we manufacture firearms in Springfield, Massachusetts. And then, you know, the other side of it, we have a big distribution center in Missouri that allows us to ship all of our products around the country, kind of how we go to market being that we're a, you know, we're an FFL producer. Yeah, we that makes sense. We also, we have two segments of our business, obviously, you know, the sporting goods side, and then we have our professional sales where we sell to uh, law enforcement and uh, military, you mm-hmm. know, Smith & Wesson has a long history of selling firearms to agencies and police departments for, for law enforcement. That's really, you know, how Smith & Wesson how it started. got a lot of its start. Yeah. In yeah. fact, it, Smith & Wesson started in 1852, correct? Yeah, that's correct. That seems like forever ago. Can you just give a yeah. little bit of history of how it started? Like you said, it started in 1852, and Smith & Wesson really was one of the first to develop a firearm that could fire a fully contained cartridge, because mm-hmm. before that, it was really like black powder. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we figured out how to do that, and then slowly progressed from there to what you'd consider close to the modern revolver. You know, we had the Model 3, which was produced in the late 1800s. And then, you know, your safety hammerless, which was, was really like the first iteration of a double action concealed hammer revolver, you know, people today would see as, you know, a model 642 or like a J frame. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool that some of the stuff that was, you know, coming out in the late 1800s has evolved into what you see today. And there have been a lot of things that have happened over the years, you know, Smith & Wesson developed 357, 44 Magnum, you know, the chief specials, a lot of those classic revolvers that people think of. Were, were produced by Smith & Wesson and then moving into, you know, really the the modern state of things. We developed standard semi-automatic pistols, our third generation semi-automatics, and then all the way through to today where we have our M&P pistol line, our M&P rifle line, shield, and things that you see out on the market now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to go there to Smith & Wesson and you guys took us on a tour of the factory, which was amazing. And I was just so surprised by how large it was. I mean, I know Smith & Wesson's a big company, but it was just to cover the entire factory. And we were moving like pretty quickly to cover everything. But I mean, it was definitely big. One of the things that kind of surprised me was even though you guys have evolved over the years, there were still a lot of things that you still continue to do that you used to do starting off. So for example, the revolver frames, those are forged. And for anybody who doesn't know what forged means, it's you heat up a metal, pour it into a mold, and then there's a big hammer that comes down and compacts it. Why is it that you guys haven't used any other form of technology in order to make these frames? Well, the forging process is really, it's important in that you heat up hot metal, basically put it in a form, and then you have basically a big hammer that comes down and it compresses that 
metal and I'm not a forge expert, but you know, I've, I've been out to forges, you know, I've watched mm-hmm. it happen. And what it does is it creates a really, really strong frame. And that's really where a revolver is born is in the forge, you know, from there, you have that really, really strong frame that gets heat treated and then it gets machined and polished and everything else that goes into making a handgun. But um, that's where it all starts. And it starts with the frame and you have to have a really strong frame to be able to chamber some of those more powerful rounds. I mean, mm-hmm. when you think about your 44 Magnums, your 357s, your big bore Magnums, like your 500 Magnums, yeah. it, you know, you have to have that really strong frame to be able to support firearm to, you know, stand up to that kind of power. Yeah, definitely. Another thing that I noticed was you guys had a lot of women that worked there, especially in the assembly line. There was many women that were putting guns together and that kind of surprised me. I mean, for one, it sort of breaks a lot of the stereotypes of women and guns. And I don't know if you guys intentionally hired so many men and so many women, but you would think that just considering the industry and it mostly being predominantly male, that even the people that work in the factories would be predominantly male. But in that case, it seemed like there was a large percentage of women there. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a really diverse workforce with folks from every walk of life, you know, helping us produce and and manufacture the the firearms that we make today. And women are an extremely important part of shooting sports. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I was just surprised by how quickly they were working and putting these guns together. (laughs) It was really impressive. I was really happy to see that. And I was just happy to see women in the industry. Because I know that even when I'm putting together an AR and stuff, regardless, you can argue all day long, we're equal to men, but we don't always have the hand strength to put a lot of these guns together. I know I struggle sometimes. I was really happy to see that there were so many women involved. Yeah, And then also that actually reminds me because you guys, if they wanted to get a membership at a range, you guys have something worked out with the employees or if they wanted to become an NRA member or something like that? Yeah, we do. We have corporate programs that will support people getting a membership at a range or NRA membership, things like that. You know, Mm -hmm. as a company, we obviously we're very passionate about firearms and the shooting sports and hunting and those activities. Obviously, we want all of our employees to be involved and have those opportunities as well. If they want to pursue them, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Which is nice because that way they're not just looking at it as a job. They're active within the gun community, which is nice. There was another thing that I noticed that kind of surprised me as well was there was a guy hand engraving a bunch of stuff. And typically nowadays you would see the machine would do that work, but this guy did everything by hand. And I didn't realize how much custom work you guys do as well in the factory. Yeah, we do a lot. What you were watching there was our hand engraver. And we work on a bunch of different firearms, you know, revolvers, pistols. Really, the way that that will work is that's part of our Smith & Wesson um, graving, which is part of our performance center. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll we'll have somebody call in and say, hey, you know, I I have this gun. Um, I really want this engraved on it. And that's where the artwork really begins. We'll work with them to figure out how much of the firearm they want engraved. You know, so 25%, 50 mm-hmm. 75% coverage, you know, what that looks like. And then, you know, work up the design and then go to it. But it's super impressive. Every time I see it done, I'm amazed by it. I could literally sit there and watch it for hours. Well, yeah, because there's, there's the- also no errors whatsoever. Everything that I saw, I could barely even write nowadays because we're so used to just doing everything on our phones or computers. So our hands, I think it's so rare to see a craft where somebody has to like really concentrate on that sort of technique nowadays. 
yeah, it, it's incredible craftsmanship. And for anybody out there who wants to see it on the Smith and Wesson YouTube page, we have a engraving video and you can watch it and you know, it shows all the different aspects of it and, and watching how it's done. And it's really, really cool to see. Nice. So when you guys are developing new products, what are some of the things that Smith and Wesson considers? Oh, that's a loaded question. Well, a lot. As with anything else, one, we want to make sure whatever product we're developing meets our consumers' needs and make sure that what we're developing, what we're producing is going to serve a purpose out there and, and make sure that, you know, our consumers are, are going to want to use it and mm -hmm. really it hits all their needs. Um, so, you know, if you're thinking a concealed carry pistol, well, what goes into a concealed carry pistol? Uh, well, you're going to want something that is lightweight, easy to carry, the right chambering, right features to it. And that's where it all starts and make sure that what we're producing meets the needs of the market. Obviously, we go through all sorts of testing and different things like that to, to make sure that product is going to stand up and hold up to the standards that are necessary of that firearm. But yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. I can, we're always working to produce new stuff. I can't imagine. And then I would imagine that there's stuff that people don't necessarily need or they don't know they need at that time. And then you guys develop it and everybody needs it. Yeah. And I think definitely if you look at some of the companies out there that have created products like that I and mean, think about the iPhone things like that. Nobody thought they needed an iPhone when we yeah. had flip phones. But that's really our job in marketing is to, to really figure out, Hey, what's the next step? What is the industry moving towards and mm -hmm. how can we help support that and get consumers what they're going to want? Not now, but five years from now. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about SB Tactical. All right. So with the trend uh, to customize AKs, there's a great option to add a brace to a standard AK pistol with a flat rear on the receiver, and that is the SBM-47. It includes an adapter to attach the brace to the grip rather than requiring modifying the receiver, which can be a pain. And this gives you the same look and feel as the popular SBA-4 that's out there, which I also love. You can find this at sb-tactical.com. Don't forget to use the coupon code GUNFUNNY15, and that will get you 15% off. I remember you guys mentioning that you guys have sold, I think it was like 3 million MMP shield pistols since its introduction. Is that correct? Yeah. The shield has been incredibly popular since its introduction. Mm -hmm. And I remember when it first came out, I wanted the gun yeah. when it first came out and it was sold out everywhere. It was yeah, hugely it popular. <laughs> yeah. It came out in, uh, I want to say it was 2012. And it was a time when there weren't a ton of concealed carry pistols in the market. And it kind of mm -hmm. hit that sweet spot. It was less than an inch thick, chambered and popular 9mm 40 SMW. And it was really, I guess, shootable um, is the word that we throw around a lot. And that's really a function of the fact that it's an M&P. And a lot of folks don't know is the M&P pistols uh, have a what we call it like an 18 degree grip angle which is very similar to like a 1911. Hmm. Um, so what that means is when you bring that pistol up um, and you extend your arm out, your, your eyes really meet the sights and it's, it's what we consider a natural point of aim. So Interesting. it had that going for it. And we just really since then have expanded it out from there. You know, now we have MP shield pistols with lasers, uh, different sizes. We have a performance center version with a four inch barrel that is cut for optics we have you know the ez platform 
which has been very popular. So we have pretty much a shield for most folks out there who are looking for a concealed carry gun. Yeah, I actually, so now thinking back, I think the shield was actually the third gun that I bought because it was in 2012 that I got into firearms. And yeah, it was it was actually the first the first pistol that I ever bought. Wow, that's crazy. Before I worked, but yeah, before I worked for the company, it was. Uh, so it was like it was meant to be. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the first one that I bought was a Sig Mosquito, but we're not going to get into that because let's just say I got really good at clearing malfunctions, so it was a great starter gun. <laughs> but I just remembered the shield was actually the third gun that I bought. You mentioned the 380 Easy, which. In my opinion, I think that that has greatly just changed the industry. It's changed, for one, as an instructor, I've noticed that a lot of people, women don't have the hand strength to rack the slide, then they tend to want to have them buy a revolver, which I'm not against revolvers, but I just think that if they don't have the hand strength to rack the slide, they're not going to have the hand strength to shoot a 38 special. There's still quite a bit of recoil behind that. And... I would say that the Smith & Wesson Shield 380 Easy is probably the first gun out there where you can easily rack the slide. There's YouTube videos where there's some people racking it with one finger, which I can't completely do, but I can still kind of manage to move it. And then you also have the magazine has a little assist like you would see on most 22, so it makes it much easier to load as well. You know, in my opinion, I thought that was pretty game-changing, and it got a lot of women... I don't want to say that this gun was just made for women, but typically that's who has a hard time racking the slide as well as people with arthritis. But it really helped to get more of those people interested in shooting guns and it was a lot more enjoyable for them. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. And I personally think that the easy platform is one of the most purposefully designed pistols that I've experienced in, in my time at Smith and Wesson. It's just, well, I think it's exactly that. You I know, think regardless of even Smith and Wesson, I think just within the firearms industry, there's no yeah, other gun that's like that. No, it's really, uh, like you said, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, what goes into developing a new pistol. And I think one of the things that we set out to do on this project was to go out and really find the pain points and, People are going out, they're buying concealed carry pistols. What does today's concealed carry pistol look like? And what are the issues that folks are running into? And mm -hmm. one of the major issues that people were running into is racking the slide because just the physics of racking a slide on a powerfully chambered small pistol um, just requires a lot of force. It does. So just to make it function and operate. So that was the challenge that our engineering team accepted was figure out how to make a concealed carry pistol that you can easily rack the slide and easily shoot load and become comfortable operating because that's the other piece of it is even if you can fire a pistol and hit a target it doesn't mean it's easy to load a magazine doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's easy to clear a malfunction mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's easy to rack a slide and you know if you're carrying a firearm for personal protection you want to be able to be confident in all those different aspects and that was really important to us when we developed the ez so we put together what you see as the mnp 380 shield ez today and it features an easy to rack slide easy to load magazine and easy to clean design so mm -hmm. 
you can load your own magazines, you can rack the slide, and you can easily take the gun down to clean it and keep it in service and, and run them off. Yeah, definitely. And I always tell people, look at how the gun takes apart to clean it, because if it's not easy to take apart, you're less likely to practice because you're you're not going to look forward to the cleaning parts. That's also huge, in my opinion. And then within this last year, you guys launched the Smith & Wesson Shield Easy in, in a 9mm. And I know that there was a few more challenges because it's a larger, more powerful caliber. So what were some of the things that you had to consider when developing that? I mean, I think, you know, the obstacle we had to overcome on the 380 Easy and the obstacle on the 9mm Easy were the same. And that was getting the slide racking force light enough. And obviously, 9mm being a more powerful caliber makes it more difficult to do because there's a certain amount of spring force that you need to have to be able to operate that round. So, our engineers are pretty savvy and they were able to come up with a way to make that gun function and still maintain all of those easy to use features because that was one thing is we don't want to sacrifice, right? We don't want to sacrifice anything to chamber that platform in nine millimeter. And I think, you know, we accomplished that task and caliber is personal preference. Largely there's definitely the 380 easy definitely meets the needs of a certain market. And I think the nine millimeter easy meets the needs of another market out there. So it's great to have both options. And I think a lot of it comes down to personal preference. Yeah, I agree. Another thing that I also recently learned is that Smith & Wesson owns a few other brands. What are those brands? Yeah, we do. We're part of American Outdoor Brands Corporation. It's a large basic corporation, which consists of our firearms division and what we call our outdoor products and accessories division. So we have some great uh, brands on the outdoor products and accessories side. A bunch of shooting brands that are known, Caldwell, Bog, some brands on the hunting side, you know, Crimson Trace. And then we have our firearms division, which is what I am involved in on the PR media side. And the brands we have on the firearms divisions, we have Smith & Wesson, you know, we have our our handguns, our pistols and revolvers, which includes M&P and Performance Center. And then we have Thompson Center, which is, I would consider like our hunting brand, which has bolt-action rifles, muzzle loaders, the Encore single-shot platform. Um, so a lot of heritage in that brand. And then we have Gemtech, which we recently acquired, I guess it was a couple years ago, which manufacture suppressors. So pretty diverse portfolio. We run the gamut from you know suppressors to pistols to revolvers to hunting rifles. So it's, it's exciting to be involved in, in all those different brands, mm-hmm. which I get to do. Yeah. So I have to ask, and I'm sure everyone's tired of this conversation at this point, but with COVID-19 right now affecting everyone, how has it affected Smith & Wesson? Our factory's running, we're, we're producing firearms, and I think we've obviously had to adapt yeah. and to make sure that we're keeping all of our employees safe and making sure that you know, we're social distancing and everything else, which has its challenges. And I think our company's really stepped up to the plate. We have been actually producing a lot of things other than firearms lately. One of the big things that we're producing now is some PPE. We're using our 3D printing capabilities to print face masks for frontline uh, medical personnel and first responders in our local communities. So doing everything that we can to be able to help out and support during this time and while still keeping you know production going. Mm-hmm. I know quite a few factories that I've talked to recently, they still have production, but it's cut down to maybe 30%. 
Have you guys taken that much of a hit? Because I know that most states have made gun stores considered essential. Other states are arguing that they're not. But when it comes to factories, you would think it's kind of still a lot of that gray area. So have you guys had to cut back, I mean, quite significantly? Uh, you know, I can't really speak to that, but I know, you know, we're, we're doing what we need to do to make sure that we have the right precautions in place, I guess, to, you know, to operate our manufacturing yeah. facility within all the CDC guidelines and everything else that we're doing. But yeah, we're an essential business. We provide products to the professional community too. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, yeah. that's great to hear because uh, I think everyone at this point, they're kind of so over the virus that they're just like, all right, their, their biggest fear is just how is this going to affect everything when how is everyone's just kind of ready for things to kind of go back to normal as much as I yeah. don't know if normal is really going to exist, but as normal as it possibly could be. New normal. Yeah, exactly. We're just, everyone wears masks. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Have you seen the memes where there's people in the summer, but they have the mask suntan line? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's well, going to be our yeah, summer. I, no big deal. <laughs> I know. I know. It, yeah. It'll definitely be a different, different world out there. It will. Uh, we'll I know. Figure it out. I know. And, and the good thing is, is honestly, I mean, we're all in this together. I am really happy to see that you guys are, you know, helping the community and using your facilities to help people that are within the healthcare industry and stuff like that. My last yeah, question, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say we're, we're proud to be able to do it. Yeah. So my last question is what does the future hold? Do you guys have anything launching soon or... Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're always uh, working to develop new products and, you know, some of the stuff we talked about earlier to make sure that we're delivering product for our consumers. So uh, anything new that we have coming out, we'll post up on social and on our website. So make sure to stay tuned to that. That's where you'll find the newest stuff first and keep in touch. Okay. And that's where, that's where we'll find it. And what are your guys' social media handles? So we really have, we have three. So at Smith & Wesson Inc., across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then we have at TC Arms Co. for TC and uh, at Gemtech Suppressors. So, all right. but all latest pistols and personal protection items uh, at Smith & Wesson Inc. Okay, cool. And that's where you guys launch it first? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Very nice. All right, guys. So go and follow those accounts. All right, moving on. Sportsman's Guide. Sportsman's Guide, I'm sad to see, is not going to be with us. This is their last show that they're going to be on, but I'm excited to announce that IWI is taking their place. And in order to launch that, um, we are actually, we teamed up, we're giving away a Masada pistol. Blown Deadline is nice enough to do a amazing Cerakote job on it, um, which is taking place right now. So hopefully when the show launches, it actually, we might be doing the giveaway at that point. It just depends how quickly everything gets done, but really excited to see the finished product and to do the giveaway. Just follow our social media, Gun Funny Podcast for details. In the meantime, Sportsman's Guide right now would be a great time if you're really into that military surplus stuff. They actually have the largest military surplus online store and they're having a, a huge sale 40% off all surplus items this include clothing footwear tents packs ammo cans in fact i mean ammo cans are great for air and watertight storage for your ammo especially if 
you never know. I mean, I, I use it for a bunch of other stuff too. I always, I have ammo cans all over the place, but you can find that at sportsmansguide.com. Use the code gunfunny20. That gets you $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. And that code does not end after this month. So you guys can continue to use that uh, for months to come. All right. Now it's time for the AF segment. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as Never mind. AF. So with everything going on, I mean, there's been some wins when it comes to guns, but then there's other states like Virginia and the Virginia governor. He just signed uh, about two weeks ago. He just signed five anti-gun bills into law. And within those bills, the first one, it requires background checks and all purchases. And this one, even now with everything going on, Matt, I don't know about you, but I have some friends that don't have any guns and I don't discriminate if, if some friends don't have guns, whatever, that's their choice. I'm not going to hate them for it. So I gave one of my good friends, I actually gave her one of my guns to hold on to just in case things get crazy. I did do a background check on them because in Colorado, you couldn't just give her one to borrow for a few days. If she's going to have it in her hands and her possession, she has to do a background check. But think about in just chaotic times like these when if especially if gun stores aren't open i know gun stores aren't considered essential in every state if gun stores aren't open then you can't even go to an ffl dealer do a background check and as a result that person is now left in you know kind of a crazy situation where they could potentially be in harm's way granted i think everyone should own a gun just in case you know times like this happen but i'm not point at fingers who, you know, for people who didn't plan ahead. They also enforce the red flag law, which I believe is now, I think 17 states enforce it. And there's already been a ton of issues with that. There's been people that, you know, cops that enforce red flag laws, they're showing up to the wrong house, shooting the wrong person, or somebody, they come in the middle of the night and somebody confuses them for an intruder, they pull out their gun, and as a result, they get shot. So there's just been a ton of issues with any red flag laws right now. Third one is limits one handgun purchase per month. That is crazy to me. If anything, I think that this is probably going to increase sales because I know if I were limited to one gun per month, I would almost feel bad that I didn't buy a gun that month and I didn't use my month. So it would actually almost maybe increase my purchases. I don't know. I don't know, Matt, would you, wouldn't you kind of do that? Uh, you know, I really don't know how it's all going to shake out. I think, you know, with everything going on with, with the virus and, you know, some of the, some of the new things like you're talking about now happen. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all, how it all shakes out. I mean, but I just think that if, if you were limited to one purchase per month, I would probably make a purchase every month as opposed to, all right, maybe I didn't make a purchase in three months. But I think if anything, it would cause me to make more purchases. I don't know. That whole law is kind of crazy to me. Fourth, requires reporting lost stolen guns within 24 hours. And then the fifth, increases fines for not properly securing guns around children. The governor has promised to push assault rifle bans next year which includes not just quote-unquote assault rifles, but a lot of semi-automatic firearms in general. And he did all of this while people aren't legally allowed to leave their homes. You know, a lot of them are uh, stay-at-home orders, so they can't even protest this, which is just insane to me. So guys, try to take as much action as possible from home, but 
it is our right to protest. So just remember that. All right. So moving on, Sharps Bros. Not only do they have really cool lowers, but they also have a 13.7 inch light M-lock handguard. It includes the barrel nut and the hardware. It's made of the 6061 T6 anodized aluminum. The handguard weighs about 9.1 ounces. The barrel nut and hardware weigh about 1.3 ounces. So this is a great option uh, for a robust but still lightweight build. You can find this at sharpsbros.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. I got this question about a week ago, and I got to say, this is probably the one question that I don't really know how to answer. And it's also the longest question. The guy says, first, I'd like to say I love your channel and really love the podcast. I listen to every episode when it drops. I find it very informative and very funny and entertaining. My question, I have smaller hands for a guy. Overall, six inches from palm to end of middle finger and four inches from web to end of trigger finger. I'm trying to find the proper placement of the gun in reference to where it sits in the web of my hand. My SIG P365 feels great and sits more distal to my wrist. My CZP10C sits more proximal and is at the limits of the width of the firearm that feels comfortable. My question to you is where should your firearm be in reference to your wrist? Is it still acceptable for the gun to sit out of line with the wrist or is it better to have the gun to be more in line with your wrist? Is it acceptable for a Glock 19 style frame to sit more to the outside or do I need to opt for a smaller frame to sit more in line with my wrist? Thank you for taking the time to help. And as soon as I read this, I was like, hmm, that's a good question. And I guess I've never been asked that. And as I've said in previous episodes, I've been kind of working on one of the things that I've been working on now is I have accuracy, but I've been really working on concentrating on absorbing that recoil. As a result, when I grip my gun, I slightly bend my elbow so that that recoil can come back forward as opposed to upward, causing the gun to flip. As a result, my wrist isn't necessarily in line with the gun, but I don't know, Matt, what would you say to that? I guess it's a tough one. You know, I think a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with proper grip. Yeah. Um, I think not to bring it back to MP, but you know, one of the things that a lot of folks like on our full size guns is we have interchangeable palm swells. So you can adjust that you can get the right grip on grip on that pistol because obviously the, you know, the firmer the grip that you have and the higher up that grip is, the better yeah. you're going to be able to control that muzzle flip and get more shots on target. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's just as important. Absolutely. And then uh, a few episodes ago, I had Paul Carlson and he said that the back of that gun should absolutely be in the webbing of your hand. And yeah. that way the triggers is centered right there on the tip of your finger. Because if it's leaning any other way, it's obviously going to be hitting bones and it's going to be uncomfortable. I don't know. I think, but I think you're right. It really does have to do with the way that you're gripping the gun. And if you grip it properly, I would say that you probably don't run into any of those issues. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's different ways that you can grip a gun too, depending on, you know, like I have really large hands. So for me, I have to, you know, like a a smaller pistol, I have to grip differently than I would, you know, a a larger, say like a full-size pistol. So Mm -hmm. there's different things that you can do to get that uh, more comfortable if you're you're feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. So sorry, I'm not, I can't really answer your question. I'm not as much help, but I would say, as Paul Carlson said, you know, make sure that whatever gun you are using, 
that the web of your hand comes right behind the back of that gun. And for me, finger placement, as long as you're having like a nice direct pull back and you're not pulling right to the left, I don't think that the way that your trigger is placed on your finger really makes a huge difference. For me, it doesn't because like you said, depending on the size of the gun, sometimes that changes. Sometimes it's closer to the tip or sometimes closer into the crease of your finger, but I'm still managed to shoot accurately. It's just the way that I pull the trigger. So hopefully that helps to a degree. But moving on, Polymer 80. Polymer 80 actually has Glock mags. They have their own mags. They have ones for 15 round, 17 round. They have one for their V2, their CL, their OC, their S9, lots of different options. You can find those at Palmer80.com. Use the code GUNFUNNY and that gets you 15% off. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. So something that recently launched is the Ruger PC9 charger, and I have not had the opportunity to get my hands on one, but I've watched quite a few videos on it. It looks pretty cool. I like the price point because I can't tell you how many PPCs there are out there and they're like $2,000 plus and you kind of look at it and you're like, all right, well, what's making this gun so much more expensive? It has a 6.5 inch barrel. It's chambered in nine millimeter. You could easily take it down. One of the things that I like about it, so I believe it doesn't come with uh, the brace, but the 1913 rail, the brace, um, it fits excellent behind that. It looks really good. Let's see. It does take Glock mags as well as the Ruger SR mags. So that's kind of cool and convenient. And it makes an excellent backpack gun. I mean, it looks definitely pretty small, but it also looks pretty comfortable to shoot considering the size. Like I said, I have not shot one, but I've heard good things about it so far. And it definitely looks kind of unique. I hate to say it. Maybe, you know, people are going to call me out on this, but it almost looks like the silencer code, the Maxim 9 with a longer barrel and a handguard on it. But that's just my opinion. But like I said, the biggest thing that I like is the price. I think that it's well-priced and that's MSRP. So street price is probably going to be quite a bit less. Recently, I ran out of Trigger Brew and I had to settle for something at the grocery store. I didn't buy cheap coffee. I'm a little bit of a, a coffee snob. So I bought more expensive stuff and it did not compare to Trigger Brew. It was pretty gross. I mean, it wasn't horrible. I drank it, but I definitely missed Trigger Brew. So if you guys order it, definitely make sure that you don't miss out on a shipping because I did and I forgot to reorder and I had to settle. It was gross. So check out Trigger Brew, especially if you're, you know, you like coffee, beef jerky, energy drinks. That's at TriggerBrew.com. Use the code GUNFUNNY and that gets you 20% off. Now it's time for iTunes reviews. So guys, if you haven't left us an iTunes review, please do so. It helps me out a great deal and you have a chance of winning a prize pack, basically a 50% chance. First review is Amanda45, five stars. AKs for days. Ava's right, custom AKs are in the next big trend. They were always cool, but plain and boring before. There's so many cool things being done with them now. I'll definitely have to do a new wild build. Always get great new ideas from the show, plus entertainment. Second is 
Mr. Cupcake, 57, five stars. No bull, just facts. I am new to gun ownership. I like how Ava breaks things down. Carrying a firearm is not a natural thing. It is quite scary knowing that at a moment's notice, a life can end. Listening to Ava has helped with the anxiety to a point I no longer dwell on what the gun can do, but more on how to use it. She is like the girl next door that you can talk to across the fence. I wish I lived closer so that I could take her shooting classes. All right, so Matt, out of those two, who do you pick to win a prize pack? Oh, man. I think just the second one, I think it touches on an awesome point that I think we don't get across enough. As many folks are out there buying firearms today, getting the proper training, if you're going to carry that firearm is equally, if not more important than the firearm that you're carrying. So I think it's got to go to Mr. Cupcake 57. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I can't tell you how many times people will buy a gun and they don't even test it. They just load it, put it up in, you know, top of their closet or their safe and they think they're good to go. It's the worst thing that you can do. So definitely seek out that training. I think that's really the best thing you could do. All right. So wrapping up, I'm not going to keep you for the rest of the show because you have other things to do, but just really quickly, where can people find Smith and Wesson again online? So our website is uh, smith-wesson.com. So you can find us there. And then on social media, we place a big focus on that as a company to be able to, to tell our fans and, and all the consumers out there, you know, what we're up to and what new things we have coming out and talk about the the product lines and, and our company. So uh, those are the two places that you can find us. Okay, cool. And Matt, thank you once again for spending time with me. I know you're super busy and I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and tell us all about Smith & Wesson. Super interesting. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for me ha having me on. I appreciate it. Yep. You're welcome. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. bye. All right, guys. So wrapping up. So you guys can go to gunfunny.com, find links to everything there. If you haven't, you should consider becoming a patron right now. There's a patron-only patch that you have to be a patron in order to get. I think it's a cool patch. You can see that on our social media. So in order to become a patron and support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash gunfunny. Also, Blown Deadline is giving away a $300 gift certificate each month to a lucky Patreon. I also wanted to thank our $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Ryan Morrison, Elliot and Mike Pappas, Joe Lyons, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Joshua Hamp, and Sportsman's Guide. And King of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. He wants me to say that the world's population can be divided into two groups, those who wisely fear operator tickles and operator tickles. And this is the part that I've been dreading this entire show. So it's a, with a heavy heart for those who don't know, Kenny Ortega passed away on April 15th. This is why I didn't put out a show last week. I wanted to take a moment of silence for him. The truth is, is all forever be grateful for him. After I parted ways with my co-host, I had no idea what I was doing and I had no idea how to edit the show, post the show. Kenny stepped in, handled everything, and I will be forever grateful for all of his hard work and always making me sound like I've done this forever. We weren't the closest of friends. We had more of a business relationship, but you know, I always knew that he'd be there if I needed help and he will greatly be missed. And some of the patrons wanted to chime in and say something. Bobby, he wanted to say, this podcast would not be where it is today without our lost dear friend, Kenny Ortega. 
John, he says that Kenny was kind of like a disapproving uncle that didn't like me for being a smart-ass kid, but he had no choice but to get used to me because we're all part of the Gun Funny family, and I think I grew on him over time. His sense of humor and contributions to the show will be missed. Josh said... Thanks for being a big part in the team that brought us all together. My life has been better because of the Gun Funny team, and I'm sure others have gained friends from what Kenny helped to do. And Melissa, Kenny was my favorite smartass of all time. His humor and quick wit always made me laugh. One of the many things I will miss so much about him, his smile, his hair, and his randomness. And I wanted to thank uh, Matt once again, you know, from Smith & Wesson. And on that note, guys, uh, we are out of here. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.